There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom is built for your psychology and your biology, meeting you where you are. Noom Weight uses psychology. That's why they say losing weight starts with your brain. But it also takes into account your unique biological factors, which also affect weight loss success. The program helps you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have cravings. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Plus, check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available for pre-order wherever books are sold. Hey, welcome to the Nerdist Podcast. All right. If you live in Los Angeles, we're going to be performing June 2nd at Club Nokia. Uh, we will have guests, and I believe a musical guest, but I'm not going to say who it is yet, because I'm a jerk. I would like to thank uh, Hover.com for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. Hover is about making domain registration simple. If you need to register a domain, if you need any service, they will do it. They will not try to sell you a bunch of crap uh, you don't need. They, they just... Register your domain. They also have great customer service. There's a no-hold policy for customer service calls Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. You actually get to talk to a live human being and not a weird voicemail menu system, or they won't refer you to a website. You can also register premium domains at uh, hover.com. Premium domains are domains that might have been previously purchased but now are available for sale. They're going to come up in your search results. Also, uh, domains that are difficult to get, Maybe if they're just simple words like toast.com, they will help you try to pin those down. So if you need any, any, any kind of domain registration service, uh, go to nerdist.hover.com today. Uh, If you need a standard non-premium domain, use the offer code NERDIST. You'll get 10% off. Uh, That discount does not apply to premium domains because they're really hard to get, you guys. That's nerdist.hover.com. Use the offer code NERDIST. Now this episode of the Nerdist Podcast is uh, my friend Scott Ackerman, who really helped bring so much amazing comedy to your eyes and ears. If you listen to this podcast, you're probably a fan of the Patton Oswalt's and the Sarah Silverman's uh, and uh, of the world. Scott co-founded Comedy Death Ray, I think, 10 years ago now. And it just pulled all of the L.A. comedy scene together and gave a stage for, the, for comics like that to develop their voices uh and he uh he's an amazing guy and his new show comedy bang bang premieres june 8th at 10 p.m on ifc um comedy death ray became comedy bang bang scott also has a podcast of the same name so he's just a great guy and a really smart guy and uh he has done shit tons for comedy so here is the nurse podcast episode number 210 with scott ackerman now entering Nerdist.com. Hey, 
Very unprofessional today, Scott Ackerman. I have no headphones oh, for you. Goodness, I don't cotton to this kind of. <laughs> you don't. Bullshit. <laughs> I don't. I don't cotton to the term cotton. Oh, okay. Of just not. My it. favorite actor is Joseph Cotton. <laughs> okay. All right. I enjoy the cotton gin. <laughs> um, for any Eli Whitney fans out there, the Cotton Dumpling Gang. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that was the Apple Dumpling yeah. Gang. The Cotton Dumpling Gang. <laughs> No, you're not supposed to say cough when you push the cough button. <laughs> Is that really? It just like blanks out for a second? Just blanks out for cough? a second. Yeah, if you have to cough, you hold that button and then it blanks out. <laughs> See? Anyway. I picked it up on my mic, but it's not directly oh, into... Yeah. Um, I'm so glad to finally have you on, Scott Ackerman, because it's uh, you are a uh, you and Earwolf are titans in the, and, and, and pioneers this in the podcasting the game. Are you just talking to me? I'm just talking to you. I'm not recording any of this. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to... You, you have such a strange tone of voice when you just talk to me in in, in just normal conversation. What it's are like you talking about? Like you're an announcer or something. What are you talking about, Scott? What are you talking about? Scott Earwolf, and I'm just making conversation here. Um, you guys. <laughs> this is before we're rolling, of course. This we're is not just uh, the way friends chat with each other. We're rolling on the tape over there? Yeah, I what said tape. Did you, what did you say? Nothing. I was just hanging out with my old friend, Scott Ackerman. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Hey, Scott. Um, I'm glad to be here on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, we had talked, just in, just so people know, we, we've we been talking for quite a long time about having you on, and then we kind of just wanted to position the appearance with a bunch of stuff that you have yes. uh, going on. And so, but we'll get to that in a minute. First of all, thank you for uh, being a pillar in the L.A. comedy scene. <laughs> I don't really remember what comedy was like before, oh, come b- on. before Death Ray. Before I started producing a show, it was. Uh, but but the, but that but that show at Embar in you know when did you started two thousand two or three, two thousand two yeah. Um, Chris is talking about I, I produced a live comedy show. It was called Comedy Death Ray for a long time. Now it's called Comedy Bang Bang mm-hmm. Stand Up. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, almost ten years now. So oh, fuck. It was September thirtieth, I think, two thousand two, and yeah. Every week, every Tuesday. I remember. I remember around that time going to Joe, who owns the M Bar, Reynolds, yeah. on uh, on Fountain Vine and Vine, and, yeah, and uh, in early in two thousand two, and saying, "Oh, I want to. I'd really love to do like a regular comedy show here." And he said, "Oh, well, I just met with these other guys who want to do a show. I didn't. He didn't. I didn't know it was you." Mm-hmm. And then. I was like, okay, well, if they're gonna do it, that sounds that sounds <laughs> That's good. easier for me. <laughs> so, and what then, would your life have been like? What if we had swapped lives? And oh my I said, God. you know what? I want to be a multimedia mogul who starts a YouTube channel. <laughs> no, but you are doing all that stuff. I mean, you 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 have a. Uh, I mean, you were podcasting. You were you were a pioneer in the in the comedy podcast field. You know, you can you can almost say that about anyone because there's like certain stages of like. You can say that about like Ricky Gervais. Okay, you were a pioneer, and then people like, he really was. He really was. But then I was talking to Jimmy Pardo about his show, and and when he first started, he's like, ah, "Am I too late to this podcasting game?" Yeah, and that and was like was, what, like oh seven or something. Yeah, he was doing it way before either of us. So like, I don't know. I've been doing it three years now. We just celebrated our third anniversary. So three years is pretty good. I mean, I guess you can be called a pioneer of anything if it takes three years to be successful. Well, but I mean, you know, you you because you were doing uh, you were doing Death Ray over at Indy one hundred three one right across the street, right from across this very the street. building. Yeah, and and you guys, you know, figured out 
pretty quickly like, oh, well, this should be a podcast and this should be a regular thing. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't figure it out necessarily as much as the station said, hey, do you mind if we podcast this show? <laughs> and me sort of knowing what a podcast was because I was on Jimmy Pardo's Never Not Funny. I was like, yeah, that sounds good to me if you want to do it. I don't know how to do it or anything. And they hosted it. They put it up on whatever site hosted it originally, and it came out as a podcast, and I just kind of was like, oh, that's good. Well, I knew that I knew that what you were doing was becoming a thing when I would tour around, and I started seeing, a couple years ago, people wearing the Comedy Death Ray t-shirts. Right. And then going, oh, how do, shit. How do they get them? <laughs> Where did those come from? <laughs> but, um, you know, as as a guy who, and I, you know, I'm sure a lot of people know, but... You are a guy, yes. As so a guy... I co-sign on that. Is it, uh, tell me about nipples. Let, let's talk about guy stuff, Chris. I, come on, I you mean, know? you know how when you want your balls to play a football game, but your old lady's tits are full of beer, and you're like, what a great life. Let's go get some wings. Those are all touch let's points. Let's break them off the, my old lady's back. Those Crack. are all... <laughs> <motorcycles>. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was that a uh, was that a macaw that was breaking off in the back of yeah, your? Yeah, it's my old lady, my my, my macaw, <laughs> my, 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 my macaw. No, no, it's just it's not a, it's no, no. I'm sorry, there's a misunderstanding. My old the, the macaw's name is my old lady. Yeah, exactly. It's a dude macaw. Yeah, is it, I'm not whatever. <laughs> and its tits are full of beer. <laughs> That's a hor horrible nuclear accident. That's <laughs> a lie. It's very detailed. Didn't I mention I live in Chernobyl? <laughs> My apologies for not laying out this very detailed riff early on. Uh, but these are all uh, these are Riffs all the are based on misunderstandings, as you know. Constantly, because you start Constant saying clarifications things, and you, misunderstandings. You really have to let people know what's happening. Mm -hmm. But you've always, but you, you know, your 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 history uh, from what I history. Your history. Thank you. I'm sorry. Gender non-specific. I'm sorry, please. Scott Ocker woman. Thank you. Was <laughs> <laughs> that? God, uh, I'm just like literally that triggered something in me from like <laughs> elementary school. Oh no! Like, oh, you motherfucker! Couldn't have been worse than growing up with Hardwick. Um, <laughs> but I don't, uh, I don't know how to make fun of that. You, you, uh, you, and BJ Porter were a writing team, the Fun Bunch. Yeah, we wrote uh, on Mr. Show, and we wrote movies together, and uh, a lot of scripts that never got made. And uh, but we were paid for, so that's kind of how we we lived yeah. for a long time. And then you know it, what was weird is we were we started in the stand up alternative comedy scene back in 1995 is when we started with Patton and Paul F. Tompkins and Janine Garofalo and Margaret Cho and all people like that. But once we started writing and writing got really busy for us, we stopped kind of being around stand up comedy all that much. And then. You and I kind of, or I, I don't mean to say you and I did it at the, we did it at the same time is what I mean. Like when I started kind of getting back into doing open mics and stuff, yeah. you and I were uh, kind of struck up a friendship at that point. Yeah, like around two, 99, 2000 99, maybe? 2000 yeah. or so. And we would go do open mics a lot. And I sort of remembered how fun it was to perform again. So uh, when BJ came to me and said, hey, I've been talking to Joe Reynolds at the M Bar. I want to do a show and you're performing a lot. You know all the good comedians. Why don't we do it together? Um, that's kind of how it all started, and and uh, just out of you know sitting, I, I didn't want to sit around in my room all day just writing scripts and never see any of my friends again. And and that that's really the reason I keep doing it. You know the why ten years I've still continued is because I would miss seeing everybody. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like it would be weird to just kind of retire and then never see any of you guys. I know again. it sounds sad, but. But left to my own social devices, I would never just go out and hang out with people. Yeah, I would never hang out with Jonah Ray. 
<laughs> I have to book a show for him to be in. <laughs> there needs to be a structure in place. I can't just meet someone at a food establishment. I've known Jonah since he moved out here. I love Jonah. <laughs> well, he's not here today, is he? No, he but... doesn't love me that much. <laughs> he would would have quit his job if he would wanted to be. He would have quit his job, and so would have Matt. Yeah. So so would have Matt. So would a matter. So would a matter. Welcome would... back to the Italiano, Chris Hardwick. It's nice to be here. Oh, my, you guys. We have a great show today. In communist Russia, show shows you. <laughs> hey, get away from me, Ruski. I'm Italiano. <laughs> I, uh... Another great riff. Another great riff. Vespa. I say two solid riffs so far. Pretty good. Uh-huh. Pretty uh-huh. good. I mean, listen... And I may be wrong by saying this. Uh, you can never go wrong with stereotypes. <laughs> no, you just right. can't go wrong with them. <laughs> you can't go wrong, and you are not wrong. No, they're and two wrongs do not make a right. Unfortunately, so you are not right either. Easily. Oh, you just painted I'm me so into sorry. a weird Thank you for playing. logic corner. <laughs> stereotypes are easy. They're they're fun. They only slightly hurt people. That's I mean, right. come I mean, on. But if you're a member of someone that there's a stereotype, a member of a race or something. You're used to it by now, right? And some, sometimes it benefits you. If you're a black guy, you're walking around going, you know, pointing down at your shorts. You know, you benefit from that. That is a, that is a, that is a beneficial stereotype. Yeah, exactly. But not so good on the white guy end. We didn't. No, benefit from we that only stereotype. have medium-sized penises. Mm. <laughs> Medium compared to Asian people. <laughs> Whoa! Hey, what? I don't. I didn't. I don't section that. We're the grande of the. Yes. Of the black guys are venti. <laughs> White guys are grande, and I'm Asian not, guys are I, tall. No, <laughs> no I, I can't support that. <laughs> That's the only time that sentence has ever been said, by the way. Asian guys are tall. I do not support that. Uh, I'm not this type of comedian, Chris. You're backing me into a what, corner. I didn't tell you to say that stuff. Come on, man. I don't appreciate that. <laughs> Why are you putting it off on me? You started this whole thing. You're right. I take full responsibility. Scott, I would like to apologize to you and all of the Asian community. Apology not accepted. What? Now you're Now you're speaking on behalf of them? How did that happen? They do not accept your apology. How, but did you talk to them? Rise up, tiny Asian Stop people. Stop it. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Please, their technology alone could level us. <laughs> Three solid riffs. I'm counting that in the win column. <laughs> I'll let you know if we ever have a loser. So far, that has not happened. I feel like we're two and a half and oh. <laughs> let it over three two and a half and oh men but i uh, but you started this amazing show uh the comedy death ray which immediately became popular and i think there were a lot of reasons i mean number one it was just the right time and number two people were looking for a performance space there were there was and you know this from if you remember from going to all the different uh you know open mics and, and shows around la is there was no kind of centralized um, you, you know, had to drive to the west side. People who don't live in California, but you had to drive all over the place to to perform on any given night. And and the great thing about where we were doing the show is it was right in the middle of Hollywood. Um, and it was a, I think it was successful because it was a quality show for the money. You would see really famous people, but we had a a really um, sincere desire to feature new people because the the show was kind of a reaction to other shows that were around town at the time that were only having the same famous people on in sure. rotation and there were so many people who like for instance Todd Glass Todd couldn't get on those shows like right. he wasn't cleared to be on any of the popular shows and Todd's one of the best comedians in the world in yeah. my opinion so for me it was just like Todd you're a regular on our show come on you know and he, you know, he would be on all the time. So on any given night, you would see. I remember one show early on in those days where it was like, um, we had 
I think it was like Odenkirk, Bob Odenkirk, and two other really like Pattons and 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 Zach Alphanakis's, and they were all late, and Louis C.K. was the only guy there, <laughs> so he ended up doing an hour while we waited for oh, them to Jesus. get there. <laughs> you know, it was like that kind of energy all the time. Those shows know? were so much fun, and not only that, but there was there was a sort of unspoken encouragement to try weird new, things. Yeah, weird new stuff. Experiment. You know, Furman and I did a lot of, like, a lot of our, um, I mean, we, we we had done a little bit of hard and firm stuff together in college. That sounded weird. But uh, <laughs> but but we started, ag- but we really kind of started again at Comedy Death Ray, and that's where we started doing, like, the the greatest American hero piece you did and a Tron musical, the Tron like rock, opera. Minute rock opera. Yeah. And then the, uh, you know, Corazon, like a- any of the pieces that ended up becoming what was on our, uh, the, the songs that were sort of our go-to bits that we put on our album. Gyote. Yes. Gautier. Gautier. Um, so, yep. so, so sorry to mispronounce <laughs> that fucking weirdo name. <laughs> <laughs> Cinnamon banana. Cinnamon banana. I am counting that in the lost column. Really? Yep. So sorry. Nope. You mean a storyline that would have been on Lost? Cinnamon bananas? Cinnamon bananas. That's what the BlackRock was carrying. Cinnamon bananas. And then they crashed. BlackRock, that's living color, isn't it? Yes. Hey. In the venti column. <laughs> all right. Uh, tying it all together. Yep. Callbacks. <laughs> but uh you know, it was it was it was just a great place to experiment, try new stuff. We did a lot of uh, joke machines there, which was our, our, our yeah. Old... Joke machine was your. I loved that format, and you were the host of that, right? I was the and... host. Uh, Greg Lobb and 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 uh, Tom Sharp. Yeah, um, Tom Sharp's back. Tom Sharp's back. We're having lunch. This I think we're having lunch in a couple yeah, he days. Wrote on our between two ferns special. But he's. But it was. Uh, yeah, those and those early shows. When you look back, it's like. Sarah, Louie, Patton, Proops, Zach Galifianakis, Swardson, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but, Jerry but also, Minor. Also a lot of young comedians as well. Jonah, I mean, I would I would have to say Jonah started, that was one of the first shows Mr. Popularity. Mr. Popularity. Where he'd come yeah. with props and do stuff. And it was, it, was a, it was a genius little formula, a very, a very simple but genius formula of, you know, we're going to book a couple people that everyone's heard of to get people in the seats. And then we're going to throw these sort of... New people who you will love. That are in the same kind of sphere... Mm-hmm. Um, comedically, not same acts, but just like the same type of. It was like a yeah. genius playlist. If you like this, you like this. <laughs> yeah. So and, it, and it really worked well for people. I think who were just starting out. I mean, I, I knew all these great people: B.J. Novak and Dan Mintz and Morgan Murphy. All these people who had just moved to town. Like literally, when we were doing um, that open mic in we- in uh, Westwood, B.J. Novak came up to me. His he had just moved here. I think you know, that week or something was like, oh, I'm a big Mr. Show fan. And we just struck up a friendship and I loved his jokes so much. Yeah. And so it just became kind of like a cool scene for people who weren't, quote, approved, unquote, to do the big shows around town. They now were getting stage time on sh- on a big what turned out to be a big show. Yeah. And the uh, the M bar shows. I remember after like maybe a year or two looking around and being like, is that fucking Keanu Reeves? Like it just it it just pulled yeah. in this weird weird groups collection of, you know, I of of hardcore comedy nerds. And then and then people you're like, is this becoming a scene now? Like yeah. why is those that's crazy. Well, you know, I I've always resisted the whole becoming a scene thing to be honest, like and you know, I mean, look, the show the show is continuing now and it's it's you know, we don't release who's on it anymore. Uh, 
but you know, I mean, back in the day, I really didn't want it to become this thing where like suits came to it and where right, no industry comps, n- no industry comps. Performers only get two comps, and uh, because a lot of times, you know, performers would go, "Hey, can I have twenty seats?" Because yeah. my all my agents want to come, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I wouldn't do any industry comps. Like we would get constant calls from CA from every big agency saying they wanted to come quote unquote cover the show, and I wouldn't let any of them do it. I would say you if you want to come you got to pay five dollars, and they would all go where am I supposed to get five dollars? I don't carry that little <laughs> amount of money. I only have hundreds. You know um, why would we want to help support a show in town? Yeah. We just want to go to things for free. But it was a great way to weed out people who weren't serious, who just kind of heard about something that was popular and yeah. wanted to come hang out and not actually watch. I wanted people who wanted to watch the show. Yeah, that's the thing. And I barely ever tape seats for anyone. I barely, you know what I mean. Like if you want to come, you have to get there. You have to risk sitting on stage to watch it you know you have to uh you have to really want to see the show because there's a lot of people who really want to see it every week well and i think that's that a lot of people who you know the people who come really get the sense that they're a part of something that's unique and and kind of special and it feel it feel those shows feel very communal like they always felt very communal to me of like that, that the people were super excited to be there, and even though people were crammed in, and you know, especially at Embar, especially Ralph Cramden, is he was very crammed in. <laughs> uh, that uh, that you know, there were at Embar they were serving food, and there was a bar, and so it was it was always super 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 packed. Right. Um, and now I should say that it's moved to the UCB Theater in LA now uh, for the past five. No, for the past. Six and a half years. I really thought that was going to be. I'm an idiot. I thought that was going to be the death of the show. I was like, no one's going to sit in theater seats in Los Angeles. Yeah. And they did. I was worried about it. But, (laughs) you know, I was at the time I was considering stopping the show anyway because I was um, nothing against the M bar. It's a great place. I just um, uh, I was I was tired of trying to fill the M bar every time I wanted to move somewhere a little more intimate because yeah. I started feeling like, oh, every show's got to have major headliners on so I can fill this 150, 160 seat place, you know, so I moved it to a tiny 99 seat theater. But it's a which it is really hard to book a regular show. It's it's hard if it's hard to book a monthly show, I know it sounds not hard, right. but just booking a consistent show is hard because, um, you know, performers are, are unintentionally difficult. People always <laughs> want to go up when they want to go up. They don't. Yeah. Some people don't show up. Other people <laughs> want to show up when they weren't booked. And it's like it's a really hard thing. Some weeks it's incredibly hard. I, I'm lucky enough that it's a little easier for me now because comedians want to do the show but, yeah. but there are those weeks where it's like I and I had one recently where I was like man this this show's so easy I just basically like three months beforehand I ask people when they want to do the show I put together the lineup I barely have to show up and then one night four people dropped out like five minutes before the show oh, and shit. I'm like scrambling around trying to find comedians and you know I mean back in the old days at Bar, you could just talk to any of the 30 comedians who are just hanging out getting drinks right. and go, okay, can you go up? You know, but now because it's a theater, there's, you know, a lot of comedians aren't hanging out necessarily the way they used to. But yeah, and it really was, uh, you know, we, we just, because we just had John Hamm on the podcast again and he was talking about like, lucky. Yeah, I used to, you know, he was, he talked about you and said oh, that's so that, nice. that he used to go to the Tuesday night shows because it was cheap and fun and not that's where all of his friends were He's going. He's a cheapskate. He does not, even today. He's does, a miser. <laughs> He's very thrifty. Uh, but it, it, 
it, it's it's fun to see that it has grown yeah. um, from just being a from just being a show that was popular for a while, and then like some other shows just sort of fizzle out. And you yeah, know. I you know every time I keep thinking about quitting, that's the thing. I just go, well, what, well, how would I see these people again? So you know, like I've it, the busier I get, the harder it gets a little bit. And the ten year anniversary is coming up in September, and I'm like tempted. That's such a round number. I'm tempted to those to all quit. night anniversary shows were so much fun. Yeah. You, you, I think it was was it the first year through like the fifth year maybe. I think it was the second through the fifth maybe we did. Um, what we basically did uh, was we would start the show at eight p.m. and we would go until t- we said we would go until six a.m. The first year we said we'll just go until everyone walks out because no one will stay that long. Oh, yeah. But they everyone stayed. People that showed long. up in their pajamas <laughs> and you and because it was a bar you had to lock the doors because mm-hmm. they We had to lock the gates as Mark yeah. Marin has talked about many times. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that show uh I did a set at the beginning of the show and then Furman and I closed all, the show. Oh, closed the show but all night took notes of during people's sets. And then close the show with a, a parody of Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. Oh, I thought it was R.E.M.'s It's the End oh, of the I'm World. Oh, I'm sorry. You're yes. right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. It was R.E.M.'s It's the End of the Show. At the end of the show as we know At the end of the yes. world as we know it. And then we basically just took events that happened the whole night. That and was so genius. That was the song. And it was... That was way harder than I... I don't know. It was like... When you, we, <laughs> I mean, if anyone could pull that off, that was you and Firm. I mean, you guys are like, you know, such incrediminds. <laughs> oh, thanks. It was, it, was, it was really fun. But uh, yeah, we were so wiped out by the end of that. Like, oh yeah, my God. Because we, we, we were the Phil Collins of the show. You, perf- <laughs> you performed in London yeah. and then flew to Philadelphia. Just as important, I'm going to say, too. Just as yes, important as yes, Live Aid. Of course. Uh, but we did not stop writing for that entire like eight hours of it just, just like taking notes. It was fantastic. Yeah, those... Those, those were great. We did we did those three times. The the very last year we started at eight. I think we started at seven. We did a pre-show maybe, and then we started at eight. And then it went. We were scheduled till six, but those things run long. Like yeah. no one wants to stick to their time. We got out at eight thirty in the morning uh, for the, the last one, and they they were really special. They're really amazing shows. I may do one more. I don't know. I'm 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 contemplating retirement is what I'm trying to say. I know. I think one more might be fun though. One, one more, more one more fun. could be fun. Yeah, yeah. And there's a whole brand new crop of people who are all really good now. <clears throat> it's been interesting to do that show and see kind of the rise of people who are really popular now, like Aziz, yeah. you know? And to see the people who are just starting out now be really popular and then to see the, the I find it really interesting the people who went away who are not comedians anymore you know I mean that's always who really let, interesting. who quit there's people I, I think about I mean I don't know that I want to name okay. names of people who quit and like tar but them just kind of stopped but like you know a Tammy Vernikov for instance oh right her? yeah you know, Tammy was great yeah there's all sorts of people who just I think about sometimes I look at the old lineups I, I wrote down all everyone who's ever been on the show I've I've written a list of every single show. Yeah. <laughs> and I just look at old lists sometimes and go, oh, whatever happened to that person? Whatever happened well, to that I person? Well, I think stand-up is just, is, is, can be a difficult, you know, when you've been doing it for, I think sometimes people get maybe to the 10 or 15-year mark and then they go, okay, why am I doing this? Yeah. Am I going to be a touring comedian for the rest of my life? Or right. should I focus, you know, should I just kind of skew this into writing a little bit more or acting or, you yeah, know. Are you there right now? Is that what's <laughs> happening? God, it's me, Margaret. Am I witnessing this? <laughs> no, no, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I don't know if I'll ever stop doing stand up. I don't know. Like when I see when I see people 
you know, like comedians and they get really famous and they just stop doing stand up. I never understand that because I don't know why. Yeah, why would never want to not it in the first place? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know, but it's tough. It is hard. It's like I can understand wanting to take a break. Like I, I respect the people like Louis or Jim Gaffigan who just are like, no, this is what like I worked this hard so I can continue doing it. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it's hard if you don't if you, if you take too long a break, then yeah. it's then it's just like well, that's the thing that they say about Eddie Murphy is like everyone wants him to start doing stand up again, but it's like it's been twenty. Five years. How do you ever start again? And not only that, but a, but a guy like that, because of who he is, no one is ever going to like. Audiences are not going to forgive him no. in the workshopping no process. No one will cut him any kind of because obviously his first handful of sets are you know they're going to have rough patches because that's just how comedy works. And everyone's going to be like, "Boo! I thought you were supposed to be yeah. a great comedian." Yeah, I mean, maybe if he did like the Chappelle model, where he just was like, "I'm going to talk for two hours." You can you'll like some of it. You won't like some of it. I I so I just wish Eddie Murphy would go and just do like weird take weird character roles instead of oh, like starring. Like you you when you I see love his characters, Bowfinger. Fucking Bowfinger is oh. one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite role like the dual role. Mm-hmm. But just that 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 the Nebishi character the the he's so funny. He, I even like Norbit just to watch him do characters. Like I, you know <laughs> what I mean. Like well, I, he when he does a character, he just it's not like oh he's he's an, a guy acting a character. Like he just absorb he just becomes the character yeah. seamlessly. He's an amazing actor, and yeah. it, and I think I think there's a weird thing when you're a movie star of like. Oh, you got to take these movie style leading roles. Well, I've thought about that and, you know, not to hypothesize about something that I do not know about nor will ever know about sure. <laughs> being the lead in movies, but but I've thought about people like that like say someone who uh who I greatly admire, uh Steve Martin. Mm-hmm, for of instance. course. Okay, you can start saying, "Well, why does Steve Martin do the Pink Panther? Why does he do the whatever movies?" I think it's because when you are um, above the title if you could choose doing something really cool, but it will then mean you will never be above the title again. Like if it fails, you will, you know, if you just do cool movies that are funny, yep. you all of a sudden will no longer be a movie star. Right. Or you have to just do whatever movie you can get to be above the title. And I think that applies to Eddie Murphy too sometimes of like, you go, why not choose a cool movie? Well, it's because these are the only movies being offered to them that will, it's really hard to put together a movie that will get put together, that will come out, that a marketing team will get behind and you will be a movie star. You'll be above the title. Those are the only ones that he can get. It's not like he's like picking between really great scripts and you know, uh, Daddy Daycare or whatever. I, I don't know what kind of <laughs> right. movies, you know, and I don't mean to say those are bad movies either. I just think that that's why people make those kinds of choices, you sure. know, because, you know, you have to, I mean, the people who have been able, like Steve Martin has been a movie star since 1979. Eight or nine, nine, yeah. That's an incredible run. I mean, you know, like Stallone and John Travolta couldn't even keep that going. I mean, he's been up and down for so long, you know, but like to be above the title is really and to keep it going that long is crazy. I also think there's a certain degree of, you know, to be a sort of like on the edge comedian type. Mm-hmm. There's a certain degree of um, uh, uh, there's a certain degree of like hunger that you need to sort of have or or or, mm-hmm. or des- not desperation, but it but it's it's definitely there's definitely a thirst and mm-hmm. I think when you get a little bit older, a hunger, is, a thirst, a hunger, sure. a thirst. You're hungry and what, thirsty. What else do humans get? Um, they poopy. Yeah, they get poopy. Hungry, thirsty, poopy, sweaty. I I thought horny. you were all of a sudden telling the story of the Hunger Games. Yep. <laughs> this, uh, so, 
So st- so basically, Eddie Murphy right now mm-hmm. is um, like Katniss Everdeen. <laughs> Kat- oh boy, you really had to pull that out of the recesses of your mind. You are the nerdist, Chris. I expect you to know things like this. Um, you were like, you looked at me with such pleading eyes. Katniss Everdeen, Everdeen please. I, uh, please I, liked, I You know, I enjoyed The Hunger Games. I, I, I saw the movie. I saw the movie. I did not read The Hunger Games books. I didn't read it. I thought the movie was kind of boring. Yeah, I mean, I but I I'll tell you what I I did I did like that they that they did uh, that there was pretty full on murder in the mm-hmm. I mean like for a movie that could have been where they could have like handled that like well these are gonna be for young people so we should mm-hmm. really kind of explain the murder you you've seen more horrifying murders on TV how come you can see like really gross murders on TV but you have to pull back on murders for a PG thirteen movie. It's so because strange to me. because no one can complain about murders in life. They make themselves feel important by complaining to standards and practices yeah, about things. I just, uh, I, you know, I mean, if like that movie would have been like just make it grisly like the books and and get abolish the rating system and let people see it if they want to see it. Still would have been popular. I don't know. I hate the rating system. So it is kind of a weird. It is this sort of like still hanging on this outdated system yeah. for how we from forty years ago. I mean, come on, let's just get rid of it. Who? No one cares anymore. That's the thing. Like, no one cares about cursing. Right. You know what I mean? Like, has anyone ever said about your show? Oh, I wish I could listen to the Nerdist because I love the Nerdist so much, but I can't stand it when he says the f word. Only all a couple the time. times, and it's been it's it's been in reference to like I'd love to listen to the show with my kids, but I can't because they're swearing, and I'm Fuck like, they're well. kids. <laughs> And fuck you, Chris. <laughs> Wait, how did this turn on me? <laughs> Forget it. I'm out of here. What happened? Slam cough. I don't know what I said. <laughs> Wait, you wait, you left and then you coughed? <laughs> I don't understand. That's a little inside joke to something we were talking about before. <laughs> There's no slam button. You need a slam button for <laughs> There's the. There's a, a button, a big bright yellow button for, that says "cough" right in front of me. That is actually making me want to cough. <laughs> it's lit up like it's alert cough. Don't you feel a tickle, Scott? Just a little. <laughs> oh, gotta press a little tickle. Uh, th- I do like your theory about what about why people take take certain movies though, but I but I do think as you get older, you just don't. That need to really be on the edge is just like mm. I don't have the energy anyway. It takes a lot of energy to do to do that. I think. Well, for you people. wonder if Steve Martin could even be could he even do a movie like The Jerk anymore? He's a totally different person. From Completely different. Yeah, you know totally what I mean? different. Like person. I think he may have even said that at one point. I'm just appropriating it, but but. You know, you can say, hey, do something like The Jerk again, and he would just go, how? I have no idea. I wouldn't know how to do any of my Fun Bunch act from 1995 necessarily. Oh, well, that's okay. I would. Never mind. What about the one where you and BJ uh, start making out and jerking off in your underwear? (laughs) You mean every single one (laughs) that we ever did? Uh, Yeah. Okay. I would still know how to do that, but still... (laughs) <laughs> which 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 you you were in the last few seasons of Mr. Show the last couple seasons of Mr. Show right? Well, when you say in, I I had a I had a small part in the second season, but I, I worked on the show the fourth season. Okay, so I wrote on the show, and then I was in. Uh, I mean, I guess a de facto cast member, although I wasn't listed as a cast member. But you know, all the writers were kind of in every show to varying degrees. Was it easy to was it easy to be on staff between like Bob and David, who are you know kind of like the dri- the driving brains mm-hmm. on the show? Like, ha- meaning were they pleasant to work with? Well, I mean, they- just like it, was it was it sort of like super 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 collaborative? Or was it like oh, oh we'll write stuff yeah. and then Bob and David all sort of? Oh, it was very collaborative. It was it. it you know that that whole writing process was a reaction to, I think, Bob's time on SNL. So he was collaborative 
I think to a fault. I mean, I was. I'm, I'm not faulting him. I, what I'm saying is that it sounded was, like you just faulted him. <laughs> I'm sorry to fault you, Bob. Is there a fault Bob, button? Bob, are you listening? Hit the fault button, Bob. Um, I was thinking about this the other day about how, like, I I just um, I've been working on my show, right, uh, my TV show, and I'm the I'm the last say, right, before it goes out. Like any any everyone can have their own opinions from the other writers to the directors to the producers and everyone can have can tell me what they think about a certain thing but if i don't like it i change it mm-hmm. you know and, it, and it's weird to be the last stop in a show like that you know what i mean so i was thinking about this with bob and david how um he, there was a sketch that bob didn't like that i had written the the main drafts of I we I wrote with several other people with David and and BJ I think, but um the the Monk Academy sketch, mm-hmm. um where the basic premise is that Bob is a seventeen year old Van Halen fan who finds out he's the new Dalai Lama, <laughs> he's re, been reincarnated as the new Dalai Lama, and it's hard to explain. Okay, just just watch it <laughs> season four, but Bob didn't like that sketch very much, and I remember him like. Um, fighting against it and all the writers were like, no, we all think it's funny. We all think it's funny. And he eventually said, it's just first year writer bullshit. Oh, shit. (laughs) Which is kind of, you know, one of the more mean things he said. But to his credit, like I say, I'm the, I'm the last say in my show. On my show, I probably would have said, nah, we're not doing it. Yeah, because I've I did that with a lot of sketches on my show. I just go, eh, I'm not feeling this. This isn't, you know, I'm. It's probably funny. It's funny for someone else, but it's just not m- me, right? And he very well could have said that and just said, Nah, we're not going to do the sketch, and that would have been it. But to their credit, those guys were very much like uh, always collaborative. And even though they were, you know, Bob is one of the greatest sketch writer, or the greatest sketch writer, I think that. Uh, I at least have ever known, and I think Smigel and Conan probably, they all work together. I think those two are probably just as good. You know, I've never worked with them. Yeah. But Bob is amazing at it. But to his credit, he never just steamrolled anybody. He always wanted, he wanted to hear everyone's opinion, and that's the great thing I learned about writing on that show is you could have pitched an idea, and he just would have went, eh, or made fun of you or said right. no. He would always go, well, why... What is funny about that to you? And you'd explain it, and you'd go, "Yeah, I can." S-. You you always had to have a, a reason why something was funny. If you could explain that and articulate that, he would go, "Okay, I see why you think that's funny. Let's explore it in a different execution." And then we would sit there for an hour and try to figure out what the sketch could be. That's so smart, especially in a business which is largely driven by egos, where. <laughs> He could have just been like, yeah, I don't see that. Yeah. Fuck he, anyway, here's my thing that I decided. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll take that and then kind of make yeah. it your own thing. But you've always managed to, and I think one of the reasons why, um, you know, you've been able to keep Death Ray alive or Bang Bang alive for so long is you're always experimenting and you're always collaborating and you're always, you know, it's like, oh, let's expand. Now we'll do this radio show. Now it's a podcast. Now we'll do characters. Let's let's make a calendar and give it to the fans, right. like the comedy death ray calendars. Or, yeah, I love doing that. Or like Halloween shows where you would, you know, just totally trick out the UCB. And, and we do a monster maze getting into A monster it. maze, and yeah. everyone would get involved, and like comedians would jump out. I mean, it was all, I can see the roots of what you were just saying, because it's there is a collaborative community that you've been able to build and expand mm-hmm. around. And which, I love collaborating, and I love 
I love to think about, and you know, the all night shows are a part of that. I mean, those were not my idea. I, I believe it was Dave Rath and Neil Mahoney who, who we were at a party and they said, what if you did a show that lasted till all night till six in the morning? I just love trying to figure out what you can achieve with something. You know what I mean? Like, what is the limit of what you can do? When, when I thought of, I, I approached the UCB the first year we were there for the Halloween show and I said, I have this weird idea where I want to do a, a haunted maze. Uh, to before you get into the show, before the show happens, you have to go through this haunted maze, and they were all like, "No, you, <laughs> you can't do that." What are you, what are you talking about? I was like, "Well, what if we did?" And I started explaining, like, "What if we like cordoned off this part of the theater and like led them through the backstage and all that?" And they're like, "You're crazy." No, I go, "Look, I only need five hundred dollars to do this. Um, can you just give me the entire proceeds of the show?" And they were like, ah, just stop talking to us. And like, <laughs> and then I got a whole bunch of interns and we just did it. And it's like, I just, and the, the calendar is the same thing where it's like, I just thought it would be really fun for us all to have a calendar that we were, we all started and took pictures in. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was a really funny idea. And they cost as much as we made on them. And they were a pain in the, and a lot of work. And Robin Van Swank, who's this yeah. amazing photographer, took them. And it was a lot of work for her. But at the end of the day, I think it's um, the sun sets. And then we all go to sleep. No, okay, I hate that expression. <laughs> but um, I just really want to put out cool things that even if they don't make any money or anything like that, I just want to say I did it. And like I look at the calendar and I'm proud of it. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, and, and uh, I also really loved the uh, the the yearly auctions for the LA Food Bank. You oh, raised right. a shitload of money through yeah. like just getting and and uh, you know and I see it's fun because you you sort of built your core. I mean, it's going to sound boring the way I'm going to describe this, and I apologize. But you, you <laughs> get ready, Nerdist fans. I know. I'm sorry, but you you sort of built your core business, which was here's a show that's really communal and fun that everyone loves. And, you know, how can we expand that in different ways and utilize the talent that's involved and, and spin it off into a bunch of different things? And so and this was a great example of um, every year Scott would do this uh, this this eBay auction. And so everyone from the community, the comedy community, would donate something, whether it be a dinner with Sarah Silverman or. Yeah, Sarah Silverman would like uh, she Skyped a Christian family on Christmas Day. <laughs> Because <laughs> she was like, I'm not doing anything that day. <laughs> um, I'll Skype with you and your family. Yeah. So people bid on that. Or like Steve Agee and Brian Posehn went over to some guy. They drove to Riverside to go to some guy's house to watch a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie with him. Well, we had um, one of uh, 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 now who's become kind of our uh, a girl who's become our pal, this girl, Mindy Hollihan, who donated, you know, I don't know, $1500 or mm -hmm. something to be a guest on the pod on our podcast. Oh, so she she was the guest. She got, and yeah, she, and she and she came on and she was great and she's been writing crafty stuff for us on the oh, on the so website great. and she turned out to be really cool. You know who I saw the other day was uh the very first winner of the what we also would auction off. You could uh host our live show, mm -hmm. the uh Comedy Death Ray live show. We auctioned that off and um a guy, I, I'm forgetting where he's from, but uh, Tim Young had never done stand-up before, and he bid on it. He flew out to L.A. He performed on the show for the very first time. We wrote him some, we wrote him like sketch material mm -hmm. and some jokes, but he also wrote some jokes on his own yep. that he had, he had never done before. 
he did it, and I saw him, and that was three or four years ago, as I recall. I saw him the other day. He came to L.A., and he's now a professional touring comedian. Oh, that's awesome. And he's like, I never would have tried it without that. Um, so thank you so much. That's really it was, cool. It was really, it was really, really cool. I think I also was was pretty blown away by, I think Patton gave up his Carvel card or something. Yeah, that was crazy. That went for so much money. It, it was literally like thirteen or $14,000, right? It was way more than that. It was like $33,000. Oh, Jesus Christ. Like that. Yeah, he, he was given Carvel, the ice cream company, donated, I, th- I believe, 100 or 150 black cards to certain celebrities. Dina Lohan famously got in trouble for taking Lindsay Lohan's and trying to get free ice cream out of sure. from it all the time. Oh, that's hard to believe. <laughs> they seem like great parents. <laughs> but um, Patton had one, and, you know, I mean, that's like a recipe for death, I think, you know, free ice cream for life if you're Patton. Right. So he said, hey, I'm going to give mine away. I'm not going to use it. He auctioned it for us. The person who bought it paid somewhere around $33,000 for it. And we were like, God, who wants that much ice cream? We found out it was actually a guy who was starting a charity on his own where he goes, he gets a free ice cream cake from Carvel with a black card every week, and he goes to children's hospitals, and he gives them to the children in the hospital. Double charity! Yeah. So he donated to the LA Food Bank, and he's taking that and then getting... Yeah. So uh, just a that guy's gonna get so blown in heaven. Oh my God! Saint Peter's just gonna wrap his lips oh. around his ghostly cock. <laughs> Wait, are they ghosts or angels? Are they I ghosts? Don't know. I, think, I think ghosts live. I in think heaven. they're just ghosts that live down here. No, no, no. It, no, angels live down here. <laughs> I wish they had a button that said burp because I think I just burped into the mic. I'm so sorry, listeners. Well, there isn't, that. so that you're just gonna have to burp into the mic <laughs> until we can get until we can when make will technology catch up with man's desires until we can make buttons for every possible thing that could come out of a person's body they have a snot uh, there's a snot button there's an earwax button um there's diarrhea a, there's a pre-cum button you wouldn't hear that but pre-cum just cum button yeah there's a pre-cum button they have a cum button a pre-cum a pre-cum button. button the pre-cum button's on top uh pre-cum Ugh. I'm so sorry, listeners, that you've had to hear two gentlemen talking about pre-cum. So let's shift the talk to post-cum. Uh, there's a <laughs> yeah, little bit... snuggling. <laughs> my favorite part of sex. Post-cum. <laughs> so uh, $33,000. Yeah, we raised... That year, We because of the, the efforts of Patton, we raised uh, $87,000 for the L.A. Food Bank. Uh, last December, I got unusually busy making my TV show, so we only raised thirty thousand because I wasn't only able 30, to, to do the, the auction. Well, it's hard because you're because you're running. I mean, there are, there are somewhere it's got to be like thirty or forty different simultaneous auctions. The right? auctions are a, a huge. I, I have to credit my wife Kulafi Lysok uh, from the Who Charted podcast. I'm too. finally glad I know how to say her last name. It's been so many years. <laughs> it's on record. Um, she really was the hero or heroine behind uh, that auction because she, you know, the the other part about doing those auctions is it's great for someone like, uh, you know, Brian Posehn, Steve Agee to say, yeah, sure, we'll drive out to Riverside and go hang out with someone. Someone's got to organize that. Yes, who has to schedule it? <laughs> Kulop does. And so for, f- I, I believe it was, we had... 60 or 70 auctions and she had to be in charge of every not one comedian said oh i'll take care of it maybe i think doug doug benson is maybe the only one who was like he said he would go see a movie with anyone in the united states the continental united states and 
someone won and three days later he went tracked the guy down and saw a movie with him like literally three days later like he's the only one who really like sort of well, to be fair we did uh, get in contact with Mindy no, no, and no, I'm sure you did. I just mean like the, the comedians doing the special like oh, going to gotcha. places oh, the, oh those places yeah 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 those. yeah yeah like setting up you know uh, a comedian who will teach you how to do stand up over a five hour seminar sure like, that comedian does not want to schedule <laughs> does not want to be talking oh. to a weirdo oh I have to do that I thought that was just a cool thing I could say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, so so it got to be a little much this year. But um, yeah, the LA Food Bank, We I think we've raised 130, 140, maybe $150,000 for them, which is great. I mean, you know, and, and I credit my wife with that too, because at, at one point I was like, well, we're going to do these special shows, these Christmas shows, you know, and... Maybe maybe we should give the money away to someone, you know. And I was like, I don't know who to give the money away to. And Kulop was like, I'm going to investigate this. And she like laid out three different charities that would be good, and then made him battle it out. <laughs> yes, that's for right your, for your cash dollars. And only one remained. <laughs> Fuck um, you, other charities. <laughs> but I, I just think it was something to do with the. We felt like uh, the economy or something, just the L.A. Food Bank was, I mean, it's tough for people right now. And we just kind of were like, that's the one that we should sure. pick. For, for us, it was the clear winner. Sure. And, and they've been amazing. They do great work there. Are you, are, are, are you, is there, was there ever a public explanation why Death Ray switched to Bang Bang? Or there, do you not is. talk about I mean, it? it's really, I mean, it's super simple. It's just uh, basically Comedy Death Ray was the show that we did at M-Bar and mm-hmm. then moved over to, to UCB. And that was the stand-up show. And then when I started doing the podcast, and again, it wasn't a podcast, it was a radio show, internet radio show, yeah. you know, for 500 people mm-hmm. listening. Um, I imagined what that show would be uh, as something very different than what it turned out to be. I ima- what, I, what I said and what I thought the show was, was every week, whoever the headliner of Death Ray that week would come do the show to promote the show. And when I say do the show, I mean we would just sit there and talk to them, much like this is, you know, just talk to a comedian. Yeah. The show very quickly, A, turned into a podcast, um, B, got very popular, and C, turned into something that really didn't have anything to do with the live show anymore. Sure. So to call it Comedy Death Ray Radio was kind of disingenuous and kind of not um, really reflective of what... BJ and I, BJ Porter and I had started and it kind of became quickly more popular than the UCB show and something of its own. And BJ was, you know, super cool about, you know, letting me use the name for a while. Uh, And then at a certain point, you know, we started Earwolf and we started turning it into a business and it was just kind of like, and then I started getting like a TV show based on the podcast, which now has nothing to do with Comedy Death Ray, you know, and it just kind of became a thing where we talked about it and said that it doesn't really have anything to do with Comedy Death Ray anymore. I should just change it because, you know... It just didn't have any relationship to comedy of course. anymore. So, you know, I changed it and and I think it's been good because, you know, there's there's no longer kind of any weird confusion between it anymore. I've tried to delineate of like comedy death ray is or comedy bang bang now is a thing is like an aesthetic of people working together, but there's the stand up show and that's that's clearly marked comedy death ray stand up. There's the podcast which is comedy death. <laughs> I keep saying Comedy <laughs> Death Ray. Now you're getting me confused. Comedy Bang Bang Stand Up, Comedy Bang Bang The Podcast, and Comedy Bang Bang The TV Show sure. are all 
three different things, but the thing they have in common is like I'm the producer of them. Right. And so when did you when did you meet Jeff and like how did you decide to do Earwolf and a couple years ago, one year into the podcast, I met Jeff. Jeff Ulrich is the uh, other co-founder of Earwolf, which is a podcasting network. We Mm -hmm. have a lot of podcasts, much like the Nerdist Network. Uh, We do How Did This Get Made? We do Sklarbro Country. We have an up who charted who charted yes with my wife. We have uh, an upcoming show. We're very excited about. Uh, and, um, I met Jeff because he, he actually contacted me cause he was really interested in podcasting and maybe wanted to manage the show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then in the first meeting he was like, you know, what we should do is just start a network. And I was like, yes, let's do that. <laughs> cause I, I love ideas like that of like, let's, let's get a bunch of people together and make something cool. That's yeah. like always what I want to do is like, let's make a big thing. Yeah. You know? So we did it and, and started this network a couple years ago and now it's it's i think it's the second anniversary like right around now of when we started it i think we have the similar sort of i think we have a similar thing in in that way of of liking to you said earlier about oh i just like seeing how far we can take things and mm-hmm. i i love the idea that there's no ceiling mm-hmm. where it's not like oh i'm just gonna do this one pot it's the same reason why you know, i worked in radio in la in the 90s and then someone's like would you ever want to go back and do radio oh and someone said, would you ever want to go back and do radio again? And I'm like, you know, unless we could be syndicated or something, you're never any bigger than just the city you're in. And it we, feels this very... Is, by the way, I was the person who asked him this, and we didn't record it. So I, I appreciate you getting it into the, the podcast here. I appreciate it. We do. He didn't press record yet, so this was our private conversation right yeah, before. This, yeah, all of it was all the private conversation. Okay, yeah. now we're podcasting. Okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> Scott... Scott, <laughs> you uh, you do a lot of what is it comedy? We're finally things? back around to the question I asked you. Would you ever go back into radio again? <laughs> no, but I but just the idea that you know that it's that things have no ceiling and you can expand them forever, yeah. you know, limitlessly. No, I mean you know I mean why do something unless you're going to try to make it huge? You know what I mean? Like what? That's that's the thing. I always just want everything that I do to be the best it can be. You know, I don't I don't necessarily want it to be. I don't want to beat someone else. I just want to, I, I want the thing to be great. You know what I mean? So if yeah. I'm going to do a podcast, well, no, I mean, now the po- I have no ambitions to make my podcast the the biggest podcast in the world because I don't think there's any way to beat you or Mark. <laughs> well, I don't, so. but I don't know if there's any way to be the biggest podcast in the world. Yeah, I, because I, they're all niche programs anyway. Exactly. I feel like, you know, we're just a part of a cluster of... A cluster fuck. A you cluster fuck, it. if you will. <laughs> That that are all sort of in the same you know in the same sphere, and yeah, so exactly. it doesn't like doesn't matter to me if like oh Corolla's on top or Earwolf or you know or, or well, Bang Bang's. It's like we're all in the same we're all in the same region. It's but it's, what's interesting to me is normally my personality is I would want to overtake Corolla or what have you <laughs> if I start doing something. That's why I quit stand up. By the way, is because. I knew I would never be the best at it. I was just But that's a of, really hard one. You there's no like I mean there are there are definitely some people that you might recognize as it's just too amorphous to say like that person is the best at that at that you, art. But if you don't want to achieve it at the level that Louis CK is sure. or Steve Martin did, you know, then I don't know why you're doing it, you know? And I personally never saw myself achieve and that's why I quit musical theater back in the day too is like I never saw myself as being the best at it. So I just was like, I'll try something that I think I can be the best at, you know? And so what's interesting about the podcast to me is my usual personality is I want to be more popular than Mark. I want to be more <laughs> popular than Adam Carolla. But what's weird about it is I have settled into this strange niche where I'm I'm actually more comfortable being not popular. Like I'm like at, at a certain point, 
I decide I had a crossroads where I was like, I can go down this route and make my show very personal to me and do what I think is funny and what is probably annoying to, to other people, to, to certain people who like certain types of podcasts. Sure. Or I can try to make it more general and more generally just a, you know, like more popular, in other words. No, you have to. I I think especially if you're going to do something with the regularity that you do it, Mm -hmm. it has to be fulfilling or you just couldn't. Yeah, you just couldn't keep doing it. It it wouldn't be possible to fake it. I mean, I guess some people can fake it, but I can't. you, You couldn't fake it for that long. I'm now very comfortable just saying, you know what? My show is not for everyone, <laughs> you know, which is like a hard thing to but admit. But none of, none of our shows are for everyone. Yeah, well, that's podcasting in general. Like I right. said, I mean, like we're our, – our numbers, while, while TV numbers shrink ever and ever lower and we may end up meeting them, matching like, you know, the, the uh, NBC's ratings, you know, like sometimes <laughs> – every once in a while I look at my podcast and I go, NBC – like whatever was on NBC last night, I got almost the same number. That's the thing is that is that it's it's definitely the and the the ones that are in danger of sort of the low end cable channels, mm-hmm. the ones where you go, wow, it costs you know hundreds of millions of dollars a year to run that network, and they you know they get a hundred thousand viewers. Yeah, <laughs> like how do they how are they sustaining that? Yeah, because we have the same you know like you like all the podcasts are in the same neighborhood of that, yeah. and it's like. Uh, this it's does cost hundred million dollars to run this shit. It's very interesting. So, but but in any case, I don't know what I was saying. But I'm 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 happy. They're all sort of niche programs, but I'm I'm happy being the niche within the niche. But I don't. But and I and I think as you as you continue to grow and expand, which you will, because you know, I mean, first of, I also want to. I want to say a big thank you to IFC and guys like Dan Pasternak who yeah. really. Have been recognized. You can call them. You don't have to say it to me. I don't like talking to people. <laughs> I understand. You don't like talking to suits. I don't want to. Fuck those guys. Yeah, man. Pass that- on this message, Ackerman. They're part of the problem. Wait, you just said they were the solution. <laughs> yeah, you're thanking right. them. But they're what wearing is here. But it, but it's but it's it's people seeing sort of recognizing this phenomenon that's happening and loving good comedy and 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 doing the same thing in their jobs of just like. Hey, we just want to program stuff that we love that we can li- that we yeah. are go to bed every night going. I'm proud of what I put They're on the so air. So great there at IFC. They they love my show. They're happy to work on it. They it's so funny because we had a big marketing meeting uh, phone call the other day, and Leo Allen, who's uh, yeah. the executive producer on my show, um, he was on the call and from New York. He was in New York. And afterwards, he called me up and I said, oh, sorry, Leo, if you didn't want to be on that or, you know, I don't know how if anyone I'm interested in marketing. But he was like, they love this show so much. He goes, I feel like I learned something from them. Like they have such (laughs) passion for what they're doing. Yeah, they're so smart there. They love the show. Like I've never been in this situation. I've always been at networks who hate you and want to crush you. Right. Or they have their own ideas about what the show is that aren't yours. I've and literally the, the last TV show I made um, for a network that shall remain nameless. They, when they called me to tell me they were not picking it up, they said, look, let me be honest with you. We had a little extra money in the budget. We didn't really like this project. We were like, um, I don't know. We could, we have to spend it. 
we went ahead and just took a chance on it. None of us really expected it to go. I'm like, why didn't you say? I wouldn't have wasted my time. <laughs> Do we not mention any this. of that? Yeah, oh, no, the- no. Of course, when you talk to them, when they're pitching you to work on it, they're like, oh, we love this celebrity and we want this show to be popular. So uh, it's so great to being at, at a place like IFC who is just passionate about what they're doing and they're putting on really great shit. I found that, um, and I, I, and I can say that you know that I'm not full of shit because they did not pick up the show, but Furman and I did Time Hole Pilot mm-hmm. for them. I heard it was great. And it was really fun. And then, then in the end, they didn't pick it up, but... But the but their notes were really good notes, which I which are which is which is rare too. You're not like used to it, where yeah. they where they they get you to ask the right questions and go try to flesh this out and really justify why you're doing this. And then yeah. we would come away from those notes phone calls and be like, "Fuck, those were really good notes. We should be doing those yeah. things." Well, it's like I was talking to David Cross about Todd Margaret because um, the the person Christine from IFC. Um, who was in charge of his show, got put onto my show because Dan Pasternak had to move on to a different show. And uh, I was like, how is Christine? And he was like, she gave me one note that made me rethink the entire series and made it so great. Oh, wow. I was wow. like, oh, no, th- I mean, there's no like higher praise for executives than that. So. Right, from David Cross. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know. So I, I just really went into it. We all have a level of respect for each other. We, they've been great about if I, if I feel strongly that one of their notes isn't something that works, they've been fantastic about saying, okay. And I, I feel like I've been good about listening to their notes. And it's just been, I mean, and not that there are a ton. I feel like we're putting out the, a great show and it's, it's, you know, I think it's really special. I'm really, really proud of it. What is the, how, how, what is the presentation of, of the Bang Bang TV show? Well, it's, it's basically what I did was when they offered me a TV show, uh, I said, what is the visual version of my TV show? And I don't mean like what is like the Howard Stern just pointing a camera at me doing the TV show. I said, what is my TV show in one sentence? Or what is my podcast in one sentence? And if I had to describe it, I would say it's me talking to celebrities in a talk show format and then fake characters come on. Sure. And we all talk to each other. Okay. And And it deviates from that sometimes. But I said, what is the visual version of that? Okay, and when I stopped thinking about it like, okay, I'm just going to do my podcast and film it, and what is what is the visual version of that? What is a fake talk show? Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Is it's it's a crazy fake talk show with characters and celebrities and comedy bits and um, me as the host, and it's my sense of humor, and we. Uh, are often doing wild digressions into strange comedy pieces, and it's really it's really interesting. I think it's a really interesting show, and there there really is not. Uh, this is so I, I know someone's going to bust me on. No, it, I'll but say it. There's nothing else like it on television. There, there, I have not seen another show on it like like it on television. The one thing that I saw that was close is after we wrapped, I watched Knowing Me, Knowing You with Alan Partridge, sure. and that's the closest thing I've seen to it. But that is totally scripted, right? Or it seemed totally scripted to me. Um, the difference being is my show is actually improv, <laughs> right? Which is scarier for me, a guy who's not you know done a lot of improv. But I mean, the podcast is training ground for it. But my show is probably seventy percent improv. Knowing me, Alan Partridge. Knowing you, Scott Ackerman. Aha! Oh. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think it's going to be really fascinating. I hope everyone watches it. IFC June eighth. June eighth. Yeah, it's it's what time? Uh, ten. It's either ten or ten thirty. They haven't okay. told me, but it's right. paired with Kurt Brownell's show Bunk. Oh, awesome! Yeah, Bunk yeah. sounds hilarious too. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a good, and I think it's smart to block sh- like-minded, you mm-hmm. know, shows together 
so that people don't just have to tune in one like, oh, I gotta, I gotta nail that one show. Like you can actually walk and watch yeah. a nice block of programming. You can actually, take an hour out of your goddamn lives to. I don't know you if know, that's a good approach to the audience. You, you I don't know. Whoa, Scott, whoa, hey, hit the cough button. Up. Oh, <laughs> Scott's, uh, Scott's having a bit of a. That's an emotional oh, cough. God. You all right. Oh boy. Yeah, we'll cut all that, that out. Cough button. Yeah, we'll cut. Yeah, you'll cut the whole thing out, right? <laughs> You'll cut the first 80 minutes out of this podcast, right? Yep, that's right. We're only at 62, so uh, yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. all cut the first 80. You'll have out. a negative 18. Negative 18. Now we're going to owe people. Well, I'm looking at the Nerdist podcast on iTunes. It's negative, negative 18. 18 minutes. Yeah, I don't know. They're going to give me 18 minutes of my life back? I think, yeah, you have to. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> We give you 18 choice minutes of your life. Not choice minutes. Back. It's it's the 18 minutes at the end of your life when you're on your deathbed. It's the 18 minutes you were you in just the get most to relive pain over where and you're over like again? constantly hitting the morphine Why button. Why did I take out. that? Oh, no. That, those are only for the people who forgot they had 18 minutes and they just didn't spend them until the end. They're yeah. like, ah, oh, shit. Oh, that was 18. Now I just got to sit here. Oh, no. I've been gutted. My family left already. They said goodbye. I've been shot in the face by a laser. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. Oh, do you, you're, you're in the Nerdist. Is that coming up? Up? Yeah, Are people gonna be really. You know more about this than anyone laser guns. Else? Laser guns. Laser guns. I don't know if you ever saw GI Joe or Transformers or or Star Wars, mm. but people shoot lasers at each other. Wow. Technically, Star Wars is in the distant past. Still, Still it, the, yeah, that they buried that. It's technology. coming back around. It's uh, coming back not around. Possible, right? To shoot a laser gun at someone. I mean, let's not get too. Uh, technical here but is it possible to shoot a laser it's, at someone it's, and have... it's, it's just about finding an efficient power source like you can shoot a beam at someone right an energy beam of some yeah sort? but i think it's just finding the the like the efficient portable power source right that can make, make it, it powerful it enough powerful enough to shoot someone in the because really all those stormtroopers that should have been like they should have had to plug their guns they should have had to plug the gun or they should have had to like in the movie real genius take you into a laboratory a laboratory and aim it at you you'd have to stand in front of the cinder blocks mm-hmm. right and then aim a very you know large um uh, clunky laser at you have you ever thought about remaking real genius with you as the star i think that's the, that's the chris hardwick movie if i'd like to play to make... all of the parts <laughs> yeah Yes, I would like possible. to film you playing all of the parts <laughs> and not release it. But I want—I still want William Atherton on it. Oh, okay, sure. Still yeah. want William no, Atherton we, on if it. If Atherton's in, I'm in. I, I watch. I watch Real, Real Genius is one of those movies that I just watch every like year. Or so like, I'm just gonna I, watch this your again. Your whole personality is based on Val Kilmer in that movie. I would. I would have to. say. When I was a kid, I wanted to be Chris Knight so bad. Mm. Uh, number one, I was not that smart. I mean, I, I was. I wasn't that level of. I'm not that uh come on chris you're pretty smart i'm pretty smart scott i'm pretty smart (laughs) i'm pretty smart but i'm not super super smart (laughs) i'm not chris knight smart uh but yeah i always i I always love that idea of and i think it's why i like dr who so much smart (laughs) chris knight he's venti smart (laughs) that's me i'm tall smart no asians venti smart (laughs) Then white people again white, at the grande level. Right in the middle. And then we are just in don't, the. F- please don't say who is tall, smart. <laughs> I wasn't going to say a tall, smart. Come on, Chris. I was I not, not, not going to say any I'm tall, gonna smart. I'm going to cover your mouth because you're going to say something I know terrible. that you think that I was going somewhere with tall, please, smart, but Chris, I was not I going I anywhere with tall, that smart. type of, of humor. I don't cotton to your tall, smart accusations. <laughs> tall, smart accusations. <laughs> Is that the title of the show? Tall Smart Cusations. Hi, welcome to Tall Smart Cusations. I'm Chris Hardwick. It's nice to be here. I'm neither tall nor smart, but I make accusations. <laughs> Scott, how dare you? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think Real Genius was was one of the defining movies of my of my youth. But it can't ever be remade. 
I'm trying to think of the most defining movie of my youth. I definitely the David Letterman show was the most defining like entertainment thing. Yeah. of my into it, it shaped my. Oh, I like that. I like that. I can definitely see that playing itself out in what you're doing. My sh- my TV show is is very influenced by early David Letterman. Oh, so that's cool. It, I was I was looking at something that was. I was I was kind of looking at old clips after we made it, and I saw a joke on it that I was like, "Oh, that that's just <laughs> something that we either did on my show or would have done on my show." Yeah. But it's like they're lost to the recesses of time because you can't see any of those shows except for like YouTube clips now. Oh man, I know it's it's so, it's so weird when the internet fails you that way. You're like yeah. you're supposed to have everything. Yeah, every single thing that exists. I guess you have to go to the Museum of TV. Do, maybe they have all the early Letterman's, but that's the whole thing. Is like. Can you really watch every episode of Letterman again? He made so many of them that it was like, like I already lived watching every episode of Letterman. Don't you feel like our generation of people, though, could, instead of watching current Letterman every night, just watch a classic Letterman every night before bed? I feel like people would do that. Yeah, absolutely. You should. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you definitely should do that. I mean, his his show was in like the original Letterman show was so in the spirit of what of where podcasting is now. Oh yeah. Of just I mean, like let's fuck around and try a bunch of stuff and who gives a shit. I say this with no hyperbole. It it invented people's senses of humor now. Honestly, it did. It it invented looking at things ironically and being sarcastic about stuff. I mean, um I I've I've made this illusion before, but um the show Big Brother, the reality show. Yeah. Um, when it came over here, it was a Swedish, I believe, uh, format, and the producers were the Swedish people who did it in Sweden, and they Swedish chef, right? Yeah, the Swedish chef was heavily involved. Yeah, he, he he's the Simon uh, Cowell of, uh, of, and so they had a they had a, a chicken coop cam. And they thought that was the greatest idea of all time. And they they talked about that was a big feature on the first season of Big Brother. I don't know if you remember this. <laughs> I don't. But a, a cam just trained on the chicken coop. And they they were they thought that was hilarious. And they would talk about it all the time. And then they show it on American TV and everyone just shrugs at it because we have Letterman. Right. We have senses of humor. We know that it's funny to <laughs> to point a camera at something random. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like you know, I, I before that I don't think anyone, you know, I, I just think people's senses of humor changed. They're I think really there good. were a few. I mean, I think Steve Allen or maybe even Ernie Kovacs or, mm-hmm. or oh, yeah, everyone I think, has I think forefathers Groucho or, or Sid Caesar, um, you know, they're definitely or, 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 or George Burns. Like there were mm. there were there was some. But but culturally, that was not. I've never seen just such a massive shift in people's personalities to where like when he kind of took over i mean every every everything in humor changed yeah it really did i mean because that was we were the right age for that and our generation sort of swept that up and then right. and then we got you know then we got the simpsons and the conans and the you yeah, know like all the all very are, they're all influenced by it yeah they're all influenced by it well i'm i'm greatly looking forward to comedy bang bang and i uh thanks i it, it always you come over and watch it in our pjs yes i will come over and watch it in our pjs and then listen to pj harvey records i love it down by the water uh, oh, she did that great that great duet with uh, with Tom York. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, this it was, Hi Tom York, yeah. welcome to the studio. <laughs> the mics are on. Yeah, we're recording. Thanks, PJ Harvey. It's great to be here. Which way am I looking? I don't know. <laughs> That's a little joke because he has a lazy eye. <laughs> I'm gonna cut that out. <laughs> are you? I think so. All right. It's yeah. Just, why make an enemy with Tom York? Well, he's never gonna hear it, but it's unnecessarily mean. <laughs> That's true. It's a low blow, <laughs> and I I'm only in for high blows. <laughs> <laughs> high blow. That you should call your show that. High blow. <laughs> <laughs> High blows with Chris Hardwick. 
<laughs> and uh, edit point. All Ear, right. Well. Earwolf, Earwolf, Comedy Bang Bang, Comedy Bang Bang premiering uh, on IFC June 8th. June 8th at, Friday, uh, June 8th. 10 or 10.30. We're going all summer long. We have 10 episodes. And the, the very first episode, we have Zach Galifianakis, uh, Andy Daly, and Will Forte Excellent. are all on the show, and uh, as well as guest star roles from Tom Lennon and Gillian Jacobs. That's Great. the first episode. So what? There's more than that? There's more than one episode. Yeah, we decided to make more Fuck. than one. But uh, yeah, every episode has amazing people on it, and they're, I'm very, very proud of them. I, I think they're really funny. Well, I think, uh, you know, and I've said this to you before uh, off off mic, but I, but I do. I just, I've just been waiting for you to say it on mic, because that's the only way that <laughs> That's counts. the only way that really matters. Because then other people hear it, <laughs> but uh, but you know whether or not most people know or or are aware or, or will admit it, but just the thing that you started ten years ago, I think much in the same way that you were talking about Letterman has really influenced so much of oh, comedy nice. in our culture that I don't think would have been allowed to grow in the way that it grew were that not. There. That's nice of you to say. I don't know that I agree with it, but thank you so much. I'm telling you, if there had not been a comedy death ray, I just don't. You know, that really pulled the community together, and I I think helped helped the patents and the and and people like that Maybe. grow. I think the UCB theater had more to do with it than me, but um, I appreciate that. I uh, and and Chris, I've said this uh, to you on mic, but I will also say it to you off mic. But I'm glad we're friends. I am too, Scott. <laughs> <sighs> that was a really high blow. <laughs> Welcome to High Blows. <laughs> Shit, now I can't get out that thing because it re- references High Blows and no one's going to know what High oh, Blows well. are. <laughs> all right. We all have to make choices. Damn it. <laughs> Enjoy your burrito. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is domain name registration that is simple. To register your domain, visit nerdist.hover.com. In 2001, less than a month after the 9-11 attacks, the U.S. and Allied forces invaded Afghanistan. The goal was simple. Hunt down al-Qaeda and its leader, Osama bin Laden, and unseat the Taliban government that sheltered him. But even though the Taliban was quickly removed, negotiating an end to the war turned out to be a much bigger challenge. Despite some of the world's best negotiators working tirelessly for peace, all sides were never able to come to a negotiated agreement. And in 2021, 20 years after being ousted from power, the Taliban took back control control of Afghanistan. So why did some of the world's smartest and most experienced negotiators fail for 20 years to mediate a peace deal in Afghanistan? The Afghan Impasse, a special seven-episode edition of The Negotiators, a podcast from Doha Debates and Foreign Policy, looks back on the players, politics, and strategies that contributed to one of the biggest failures in modern peace negotiations. You can listen to The Negotiators, The Afghan Impasse, exclusively on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify.